0: Hey, everybody, in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom.
1: And my name is Brian Joyner.
0: And this is When Killers Get Caught, a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killers we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us. And then I discuss one well known or lesser known killer and go into their childhood lives, methodology, and most importantly, how they got caught. And then we'll get a little spooky and learn something about the cryptids or the supernatural. <laughs> And before we start, we just want to let everybody know that our Patreon is live. Yes. Have- <laughs> yes. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> That's okay. We have four tiers. that start at $5 a month, up to $50 a month. And you get everything from an extra episode of Conspiracy Crypt, which is us talking about conspiracies. Uh, we have merch discounts, access to a Patreon-only Discord, so you can have, I guess, what, like a monthly private chat with us. hmm uh, and speaking of merch, merch is absolutely available on whenkillersgetcaught.com. Just click on the store, get stickers, hats, crop tops, and regular t shirts, and we carry all the way up to 5X in sizes. So if you've wanted to support us, this is the easiest way. And we have a patron goal of 500 patrons, and I have agreed to allow Brian to make me stay at the Lizzie Borden house and participate in a ghost time. It's going to be fun. If we get 500 patrons,
1: it's going to be fun.
0: I, I don't know
1: oh you know what when i was editing uh last week's uh episode mm-hmm. and you mentioned blankets at in the beginning and then i was like oh yeah you give blankets too like i didn't just hear you say you give blankets in the merch shop oh it, <laughs> i was like oh my god Did not just do that
0: that's all right. That's all right. You can get blankets. I keep saying I want to buy a blanket. Yeah. Also, some pillows. Pillows so like, too. Yeah, there's because I want to put them in the back of my videos so that so it has like the logo right there next to me.
1: Look, once we get, we're gonna get fitted sheets and then regular sheets so you guys <laughs> so can make you your can own. have a <laughs> <laughs> wind killers get caught bed. Yes. Oh my god. Who
0: wouldn't want that? You know what though? They would want it if it had like every single like picture of
1: a serial killer uh, on it or something. That's true. That'd be awesome.
0: But. What I will say is I am working on a very secret, secret uh, thing that's probably going to take like a year for us to create. Oh, my God. But it's very cool. And I have somebody doing the art slowly for it. Oh, okay. But, yeah. That's just your little reminders of ways you can support us. And this week in true crime, I have a weird story. And this person has, the person who did this crime has not been caught. But it's weird. Weird.
1: I'm down for weird stories.
0: So the headline says, body of missing Oklahoma teen. Or it says, okay, actually, I'll actually read it because this is a horrible headline. But body of Oklahoma teen missing since 2018 is found decomposed in a basement. Homeowner says he had no idea.
1: Um, that's a little sus right there, my guy.
0: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, the woman's name was Margarita. They called her Maggie Sandoval. She was 19 years old when she vanished in 2018. I guess it's near Oklahoma University. Um, And they're trying to figure out, like, who did this in general. But it's a whole lot of weird stuff. So her family realized she was missing when she stopped calling her mom, which is, you know, pretty normal when you're in college. Mm -hmm. And for three years, nobody knew anything. And then they got an anonymous tip to search a house in Norman, Oklahoma for a dead body in the basement. They found a large black box. And according to the police report, the body was wrapped in numerous layers of thick plastic, pretty much 20 to 30 layers of plastic. Oh my God. Uh, Norma's police detective, Sean Judy wrote that uh, officers saw a liquid leaking from the box as well as insects escaping. And then when they got closer and smelled the odor of decomposition, they called in the crime scene investigators. Um they've since identified that this is Maggie. Um and they're trying to figure out the cause of death right now. What's interesting is that like the homeowner is like I have no idea. he like when they came to his door with the search warrant he was like I don't know about a body but sure come on in. Yeah. Um now she's been missing since 2018 and the current homeowner moved in in 2019. But he allowed one of his friends to like store the stuff from his apartment mm-hmm. in his
1: basement. This all just seems very weird.
0: And that friend was someone related to Maggie Sandoval.
1: Oh, like related related or like they were like friends with her or something. It like says that.
0: the friend who stored the items is a relative of Sandoval who had been living at an address where she had been receiving her social security payments because um she had a disability her sister says that they had actually wanted to legally take over like her caretaking Mm -hmm. and um so there's a lot of like layers to this like was she killed for her social security payments yeah but people knew she was like dead immediately there's just so many unanswered questions like
1: first First thing that's weird, anonymous call, and then the homeowner doesn't know. So, this anonymous caller must have been the person who did this. Right. So, oh, goodness. And then... Okay, and then for the homeowner, you have this black box in your basement. You don't. Well, my question check is, it. did
0: he never go down into the basement at all? Exactly. Like, did you have like your washer and dryer up on the second floor? Which is side note, my ideal living situation that my awesome. washer and dryer is on the same floor as my bedroom. Because who wants to walk down two flights of steps to wash your clothes? This is true. But like, so did he never go in the basement? Is that the situation? Because I feel like if you checked it out at all, it had a weird smell. And another thing that was interesting to me is. What's the weather like in Oklahoma that she's still decomposing three years later? Was she at some point frozen and then it started to thaw? Because after three years, there should not be insects and leakage happening.
1: I mean, but...
0: Did the plastic but, slow down? And that's decomp? what I'm
1: thinking. That's what I'm thinking. The, the layers of plastic may have slowed it down. And then after a while, it just started leaking out.
0: But yeah, the search warrant was May 14th. They've just discovered her identity recently after going to have to do lots of things but yeah so that's that's like uh, it's so interesting to me that's why I want to go to the body farm oh my God I just want to know all the different things that can happen and how it affects you
1: it's just I don't know that, that's it's it's very interesting that story mm-hmm. and it's very weird and
0: also one of the thing that's interesting to me is that um Whenever I talk about like someone died in their apartment and people didn't know, people are like, how didn't people know the smell? And I like always recount the story that like literally oh yeah four doors down somebody died and we didn't know. Yeah. Like and all it just smelled weird. Like I I don't know how to explain it. And then when I've been googling like this the the bacteria that happens when you begin to decompose mm-hmm. or like once you really get into the gross bits of decomposition they're talking about hundreds of different smells hundreds of different bacterias like and they all give off different smells at different times and like because we didn't get the gross gross it just smelled like weird
1: it's not weird it smelled extra,
0: it smelled extra sweet oh, but in a way that was really sweet yeah but in a gross way and so people reported it to the apartment complex and i went to work And then when I I guess during the day, they like opened everybody's apartment to see where the smell was coming from. And eventually they got to his and discovered it. But yeah, so I'm like, there's so many questions because I'm like, what was what? There had to have been some scent. But what was the scent?
1: Yeah, and. This relative that stored their stuff in this uh, home, they just, were they contacted at all? Well, it was it? one of
0: Maggie's relatives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, whoever the homeowner is, he is somehow involved in this so circle. He's connected. And, and then, yeah. yeah. And then the sister said that because she had a mental illness, other members of the family wanted to become her primary caretakers to get her social security payment. Mm. So, I'm like, is this a massive family cover-up?
1: Huh. Of it, people trying to, like. It's starting to sound something like that.
0: Uh-huh. I mean, that happened a couple times when I lived in Philadelphia. They found, like, elderly people, like, locked in, like, other family members' basements, and they were just, like, collecting their social security checks. Yeah, it happened a few times when I lived in Philly. Wow. I was like, we got to look out for our elders.
1: People were fucking depraved.
0: Apparently, now you got to also look out for your family members who are disabled, too. Yeah, definitely. but anyway, that was my story for the week. What you got for me? God,
1: starting off with a friggin' bang. Oh,
0: and the, the person I talk about, it doesn't get any better. Oh, so. lovely.
1: <laughs> well, this week. All right. Um, let me read this headline to you. Uh-oh. It says, Brighton cat killer Steve Boquette. Mm-hmm. He's 54. He's jailed for five years for killing nine cats and maiming seven more. Where did g-
0: this happen? During
1: a nine-month animal cruelty campaign. Uh, this happened in East Sussex.
0: Okay, because you said Brighton, and I was like, I only, the only Brighton I know is in the UK.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, uh,
0: why was he just murking cats?
1: I'm not sure. But, Listen,
0: he better hope the internet doesn't get a hold of him.
1: Goodness gracious. It's, uh, it says uh, an ex Royal Navy gunner dubbed the Brighton Cat Killer has been jailed for more than five years after being found guilty for killing nine cats in many um, and maybe seven. And it's happened over, what it say? So that's
0: uh, actually a total of 15 cats he attacked. Yeah. He succeeded in murdering nine of them. Yeah. No, 16, yeah. Um, and seven just survived his attacks. Yeah, yeah, oh my yeah. gosh.
1: And this happened for nine months.
0: Oh, um, Wow two a month almost yeah
1: so it says he approached animals that were you know pets that were close to their house you know, out, you know outdoor cats he was going
0: after his neighbor's pets
1: well close to their house i'm not sure his house but you know he would just i'm pretty sure he'd just be walking around and like this cat lives there i know you live there so i'm gonna kill you by the house. well he'd be know. like
0: you know ugh, i can't stand you I don't know. if th- This is way worse than that lady who, like, stole a cat when they Ubered. And
1: that's what I thought of, like, when I saw this story. And I was like, another cat story. Lovely.
0: Bruh.
1: People were just... I don't know why. Why is it what mean to cats? Cats are all- awesome, okay? Um, it says, his killing spree brought fear to pet owners across the seaside resort who were too scared to let their cats out. Uh, between October... 2018 in June 2019. He Apparently a- you're
0: not supposed to let your kids out because they like
1: destroy local birds. And the cats. Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Like if you can keep them inside.
1: I mean, that makes sense. I mean So but- I
0: mean, more than likely when the everyone was afraid to take let their cats out, the bird population <laughs> flourished <laughs> it, it, in east Sussex. It probably
1: skyrocketed for like <laughs> nine months. He was probably helping out in his own stupid way. Um but yeah, he was caught. Um, after an owner of one killed cat, uh, set up a CCTV overlooking the alleyway outside his house and call him attacking his final victim.
0: Ah, uh, good job.
1: Yeah. But yeah, um. Did he
0: have anything to say about this when he got caught?
1: No. Nah. I mean, there's probably a video, there's a video of him uh being questioned about it. I haven't watched it.
0: I just wanted to know, like, did he say anything? I'm
1: pretty sure he has something to say about it.
0: Or was he just like, y'all, can you leave me alone?
1: Can you leave me alone? Let me kill these cats. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's just... I like the justice, the justice true crime stories, I find. They're really nice because they're justice for the, the cat population and their owners. So...
0: Well, I mean, oh, this is people are sad. That's sad.
1: Yeah, yeah. Bummer. When killers get caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right, the Magic Class Boutique is not only a black owned business, it's a woman owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self defense keychains for those just in case moments. And introducing the serial collection. This set of earrings is based off of serial killers and the official merch. For the podcast This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warning keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasps.com today where you can use our promo code caught to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T H E m a g i c c l a s p dot com and use promo code cult for fifteen percent off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you Next, speaking of bombers,
0: oh yeah, we heading into another massacre. This is one of the the first random just killing massacres in the u s um, and I was reminded of this killer because I covered one of his victims in my Women Who Survived series on TikTok. Um, and, well, if I say the crime of the century, do you know what I'm talking about? Probably not. Or the townhouse massacre?
1: Definitely not.
0: It happened in Chicago, July 13th into July 14th, 1966. This man killed eight nursing students. Um, his name is Richard Speck
1: i know that name
0: Mm -hmm. um he interested me for a couple reasons well first thing is that i I find it interesting that uh this might be one of the first instances of i was too drunk and high to remember murdering eight people uh and then he somehow managed to avoid the death penalty but after he died a video where he and other inmates were pretty much having a drug-fueled orgy was mailed to the press and uh he was very famously quoted in that video that was shown to politicians saying if they knew how much fun i was having in here they would cut me loose Hmm. so that like sort of reignited the conversation on capital punishment in the 90s when that video was released well there you can still see clips of it you you can they don't show the the sex right of course yeah um but yeah that's this this guy is weird and it's uh, there's just a lot you're gonna sympathize with him in some ways and then in other ways not so much
2: okay Um,
0: but we'll start with the humble beginnings of richard benjamin speck born on december 6 1941 he was the seventh of eight children born in the small town of kirkwood illinois shortly after he was born his father benjamin moved them to monmouth so that uh, dad could work in a warehouse dad wasn't really highly educated and he did a lot of hard labor jobs to support his family richard and his younger sister carolyn were significantly younger than the four older sisters and two older brothers um Because of that, Richard definitely was very close to his dad. But dad worked, like, really long hours because he was the sole breadwinner. And so pretty much he had his hyper-religious mother, Mary Margaret, and his sister Carolyn was really his only, like, friend when he was growing up. And the both of them definitely had one hell of a time dealing with their mom's religious obsession. Like, if you're a kid who grew up near any sort of fundamentalism, this should sound pretty familiar. You know, the punishment for acting out, at all doing childish things is damnation and hellfire. And on top of that, um, Mary was what's called a teetotaler, which was a mid nineteenth century movement of people who abstained from alcohol. Hmm. Um, so and it's 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 like it's not enough for you to abstain. You gotta be a little bit overbearing too. Oh, like you, you gotta know. you gotta
1: push your beliefs on people too, huh?
0: Mary was definitely a little bit jealous of the relationship between Richard and Benjamin because she had raised all the other children exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um and so here's the little boy and like they they like I don't you have you have children. Mm. So do you have a child that's more like you?
1: I mean, they're both Equal parts me, but Cassandra, I'd say she acts more like me.
0: Well, because like, well, that's funny because all I hear when we're on live stream is that girl screaming her head off. Okay, but... <laughs> I'm
1: pretty sure I was like that when I was. <laughs> well, I just wonder because
0: like the the thing here was that Benjamin was a very quiet, calm guy, hmm. and so was Richard, and so I think that that sort of energy was something that they both kind of vibed on. Um, so Mary Margaret. Like I said, she's an abstainer. She's hyper-religious. And then she starts kind of suffering from empty nest syndrome Mm -hmm. as all of the older children are moving out, getting married. Uh, She, like, like when I say struggling, I mean, like, sobbing when she had to send Richard and Carolyn to school. Like, big bad. Um, In school, Richard was polite, but he struggled with reading and paying attention. And they realized that he needed glasses, but he hated them. And he wouldn't wear them unless his dad told him to. And he hated it because he didn't like when people looked at him. Um, he actually disliked any attention of any form. He wouldn't read in publicly if he was. He wouldn't read publicly in class if he was called on. Um, this was something that the school was trying to work on with him. And then when he was six. Uh, In 1947, Benjamin died from a heart attack. Oh no. And this was really hard on Richard. I believe it. Like I said, they had that really calm, quiet bond, and all, you know, six year old Richard wanted was to grow up and be like his dad. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've spoken about the loss of my mother and the way that I walked around like pretty aimless for the next like two years after she died. Um, The same thing happened here to Richard, but he was only six. Um, He couldn't understand how his, like, mom and his sisters and even his teachers, like, move on. And for the next three years, he refused to do any of his schoolwork, even the stuff he knew how to do. He wouldn't wear his glasses. He stopped being, like, this polite kid who was a little bit troubled, and he became just sort of a problem. Hmm. Um, His family was just like, he'll get over this. Grief is like that, you know. But then when Richard was nine, his mom was traveling home from Chicago and she met a man on the train. Uh-oh. And his name was Carl Lindbergh. Carl was this traveling salesman and he was the like extreme opposite of Benjamin Speck. He was a smooth talker. He was a drunkard. He smoked. And this 100% went against Mary's religious morals. But it didn't matter. Because she was just
1: smitten. What's that called? Digmatized?
0: Listen, (laughs) she invited him to meet her family Like from that meeting on the train. She's like, come meet my kids, you know?
2: Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And
0: Carl spun this yarn that he was going to be a man who could help her raise her children. Richard didn't approve it all he was openly hostile to this man (laughs) like but not in like a way of like you know like fighting him or anything but like just in a way that like when kids don't like you they just be blank faced yeah
1: they they let you know they don't like Uh you
0: (laughs) so mary got more involved with carl and this was only a couple weeks and so like his older sister sarah was kind of like the surrogate mom and like sarah loved her younger siblings but richard saw her as like just an extension of mom so he didn't really Mm -hmm. he's like i ain't fucking with you so mind you after just a couple weeks of knowing this man it's may 1950 she takes the whole family on a train ride and doesn't tell any of the children where they're going and they show up at a church. I and knew she it. gets married to Carl Lindbergh. I fucking
1: knew it. Come on.
0: Richard is disgusted.
1: <laughs> As if I.
0: And then he was extra upset because Carl also signed the papers to adopt him.
1: Oh, come on.
0: And, like, he was unhappy to the point where anytime someone called him Richard Lindbergh, he was like, no, that's not my name.
1: Let me ask you. Is there, like... A thing where kids can say, "I don't want to be adopted by you."
0: I don't think so. When you're so little, you don't get to make that choice. He was only nine years old.
1: Yeah, but I'm like, I honestly don't like you, sir. Please don't. (laughs) I don't want you. you It
0: happens all the time, though. Oh my god, I've got personal stories of friendships where people like just meet someone and then move to another state, Mm -hmm. and I'm just Mm -hmm. like, you just uprooted your whole family for somebody you just met. What is wrong with you? But regardless this was the first time that I think Richard very much began to resent his mother. Um, and the fact that she blindsided him with this marriage and she didn't seem to care about how it affected his feelings at all. Um, because like he was so upset, they allowed, uh, Richard and Carolyn to go back to Illinois mm-hmm. while mom stayed in Texas with uh, Carl. That's where Carl lived. Okay. So, um, so he could finish out the school year cause it was May. So he only had like another month. Um, and they stayed with Sarah and they were like, well, you know, maybe once he's got some distance from the situation, you know, it'll be fine. But, like, he just sunk into a, a deep depression that nobody could pull him out of. Like, he'd been kind of failing at school before, but now he was barely attending. And when he did show up, he didn't talk to anybody who was there. If a teacher spoke to him, it was like, you you didn't say words to him. Oh, wow. But the school was like, <laughs> ah, we know he's moving. So, like, whatever. We're just going to pass him and yeah. wash our hands of the situation. Yeah. So then um, everybody moved to the rural town of Santo, Texas, which is about 60 miles away from Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, Mary kind of got the shock of her life when she walked into a house full of empty whiskey bottles in every room, ashtrays, the whole house stank like old tobacco.
1: Oh, so you didn't know this before you married the man? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, imagine that.
0: And the thing is, Carl made a lot more money than Benjamin ever did, but it didn't matter because he spent everything that he didn't give to Mary for the housekeeping on booze and tobacco. And then, when she got there, the town was talking about Carl's 25-year criminal history.
1: Excuse. Mm-hmm. Look Look. Forgery,
0: drunk diving, drunk driving.
1: And you just married him after a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, she was devastated. A but she in.
0: stayed because, you know, she made a commitment to him. I mean, and no, God. Y- you can
1: move back home. It's okay.
0: Well, Carl was an okay dad to Carolyn. Um, he would like bring her little like gifts and stuff when he came back from his trips. And he he definitely kinda loved Mary, at least in the beginning. But he was a complete and total piece of garbage to, to Richard. He was spiteful because the little boy hadn't liked him. And so he would take any chance that he could to verbally like cut him down.
1: Well, sir, there's a reason why I don't like you. You're an asshole.
0: Well, and see, when Richard wouldn't respond, then Carl would launch into these insults that did what they were supposed to, which was undermine the like teensiest tiny bit of confidence this child had.
2: Yeah.
0: And so like Richard had been angry and sad and just full of despair for so long. And, and Carl became the face of this monster for him. Carl was the reason why he was embarrassed so easily. He had trouble. He was awkward. Carl was the problem and by extension, so it was Mary. Um, and Richard kind of put up with it one day until Carl made a comment about his father and Richard swung on his stepdad and Carl kind of just knocked him to the floor and laughed in his face. So then Richard went and grabbed a hammer from the tackle box and tried to attack him. And Carl slapped it away, and the hammer hit Richard, and he, like, dropped.
2: Oh.
0: And Carl kind of panicked, because he was just like, there's no way anyone's going to believe me that this was an accident, because everyone knows that I can't stand this kid. They're going to think I tried to kill him. Oh,
1: yeah, you got motive, sir. I'm sorry. but. Um, <clears throat> and he
0: hadn't tried to kill him, but what he did do was give Richard a traumatic brain injury at the age of 10 years old.
1: And there it goes. Yep,
0: yes. always, isn't it?
1: well um, at first you said a religious mom and then you said brain injury so i was like god damn here we go here okay. we go
0: uh carl's solution was to move uh and they would move a lot uh in 1951 they moved to dallas and the movie would, the family moved 10 more times over the next 12 years oh. from to a crappier home every time hmm. like worse and worse poverty as mm-hmm. they kept going and uh what's worse here is that even after the fact that like you like conked this kid in the brain Mm -hmm. he couldn't stop being awful to him and his mother didn't know about the brain injury by the way um richard told her that he'd been playing on the tire swing near the pond and he'd like fallen and hit him his his face Mm
1: -hmm. Um, i would have been like no this dude hit me i don't like him right he knocked me out i got he hit me he had a serious brain injury how did you not know about it
0: well, if he had this, like, anger happening before, after the injury, he really struggled with keeping his emotions a check, and he'd start, like, flying into these very violent rages. In 1952, um, his brother, uh, Robert, was hit and killed by a drunk driver in 1950. Uh, that was Richard's—it was the not the senior brother, but the one in the middle. Okay. Um, And he kind of blamed himself because he was like, if we never left, you know, Monmouth, Mm -hmm. then we would have all been together. And this wouldn't have happened, you know. Uh, And about 12 years old, he started drinking. Strangely enough, as much as he hated Carl and blamed Carl for all of the bad things in his life, he also mirrored some of the worst traits of his stepfather. He picked up
1: on his bad habits.
0: And that was the drinking. And he also began taking the random drugs that Carl left around the house as well. Um,
1: what the hell? What the hell?
0: Yeah. He struggled through school. Uh, he repeated the eighth grade. And then he failed ninth grade. And he was just like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, and quit just before his 16th birthday. Um, like I said, this isn't surprising that he quit school because he barely spoke when he was there. And he was usually drunk or high when he showed up. Um He got arrested for the first time in 1955 when he passed out at a construction site. Um, That's because he was wasted. Um, After that, he got arrested for pretty much every low level crime plausible. Theft, trespassing, pickpocketing, drunken disorderly, possession. The cops got so used to seeing him that sometimes if like a crime happened, they would just stop by his house and be like, so you know anything about this? And for some reason he didn't (laughs) lie. So he would tell them if he did something wrong.
1: I mean, I mean, honest criminal.
0: <laughs> By his late teens, he was still living with Carl and Mary, but like it was barely. He spent most of his days and nights out in the street looking to score, get a little brief moment of relief from his depression. Um, if he had friends, he didn't really talk about them. He was, uh, as he chose the tattoo, he was on the road to hell and he got the infamous tattoo that would get him caught. Eventually it says born to raise hell on his arm. Oh, nice. Um, his family was like, he's going to die. They're going to knock on the door and we're going to have to go identify his body. Um, interestingly enough, what happens next kind of changed his trajectory a little bit. So Carl started spending more and more time away from home. He was tired of how Mary and Caroline were always like worried about Richard um. And he was getting worried about Richard because the little boy that he bullied and abused was now a grown-ass man. <laughs> and he was like, if he wants to fight me, I might not be able to win.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just like, yeah, yeah, consequences for your freaking actions, dude.
0: Well, you know, people who abuse children are cowards.
1: Yes, that's true. Uh,
0: Carl used work as a means to lie about where he was going. But really what he was doing was he would go to these other cities and he would like find a girl there and he would like, just, you know, stay at her house and and whore his way across the country while trying to sell insurance and crap and drinking. Um, He started being gone for weeks, then months. Then finally he met a lady in California and moved in with her and her children. And as Carl started leaving more, Richard started staying home. And when the postcard came saying that Carl was never coming back, Richard kind of went back to normal. He quit drinking and doing drugs. He got a job to help his mom and sister out um, at the 7-Up factory. And he pretty much told them, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Mm. It paid really crappy, but it was consistent money, way more consistent than him, like, stealing Um, he did begin to like work his way up to less awful jobs. Um, and it was funny because he was making less money than Carl had made, but he was giving his mother more money because he wasn't drinking away every paycheck. Right. Right. They finally had like a nice clean home free from bottles and the stink of tobacco. Um, Carolyn had a boyfriend that she was confident enough to introduce to the rest of the family. Uh, Richard was like, this is great because he found Caroline's uh, need to be like nice to him overbearing. <laughs> he like he's like, I get it. You're my sister. But like, stop. Please, Please no hugs. Alone. No kisses. Uh. <laughs> um, he was very repressed. Um, he spent all his free time working. Um, one of the things though, that happened here was that he was like the man of the house, but he didn't have any power in the home even though this was all of his money and energy being used to keep the household running. Mm -hmm. And this would be the first time that he got violent with a woman. One night he was trying to talk to his mom about something and she dismissed his opinion and he beat the crap out of her. Two broken eyes and a broken cheek. Um, He was 19. Oh my God. Um, That, like I said, it's the first time he was violent towards a woman and it wouldn't be the last time. He started drinking again because he used to get these horrible headaches. Um, Obviously, from the hammer, he took to the head as a Mm -hmm.
1: 10-year-old. You know, he never got checked out because no one knew about it.
0: Carolyn and Mary would smell the whiskey when he came in the door and just avoid him for the rest of the night. Mm. Because they were like, he's going to hurt his sister next, probably. The violence against Mary was seen kind of differently by both women. Mary felt she deserved it um, because she married Carl and Carl had been abusive. Um, However, (sighs) Carolyn was blindsided by this violence and she was very confused. She always saw the best in her brother. And so with this like confusion in her way she viewed him, she started like focusing on her relationship with her boyfriend who she invited to be at the house more often. Mm -hmm. Um after that that person became her husband they got married and he moved into the household uh, her husband tentatively accepted richard as the sort of weirdo of the family um but this was another male income in the house so everybody was kind of living comfortably now
1: mm-hmm. nice nice
0: now richard was very like introverted and he didn't really enjoy doing pretty much anything social he especially didn't want to do things with his family, but there was one thing he liked. The Texas State Fair. It's one of the biggest in the country and supposed to be one of the best like state fairs to visit. Hmm. Um, and in 1961, he was there and he met a girl. Her name was Shirley Annette Malone. She was 15 and he was 20. She assumed that he was younger because he kind of acted a little bit younger and they were both there like with their parents. Women and sexuality were a sore subject for Richard. His whole life, religion had told him that sex and sexuality were wrong. And so, like, he viewed, like, his mom and his sister as, like, pure and perfect. And so he pushed down, like, the feelings of desire that he had for years. And so when he first meets Shirley, he definitely views her in the same way. Like, she's this, like, beautiful, virginal um, girl. And, like, that day... Like, they spent the day together, they held hands, and both the families thought that this was really cute. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, um, that his family never mind. <laughs> they said
0: their goodbyes at dusk, and they learned that they both lived in Dallas. And they're like, oh, we'll meet up in Dallas. Back in Dallas, things moved a little quickly. Richard didn't know what a relationship was supposed to look like, having only seen his stoic father or lecherous Carl. Mm-hmm. So he was like... I like to go drinking. You want to go drinking with me?
1: <laughs> yes, let's go. <laughs> when so the you two got me?
0: wasted day drinking. And they uh-huh. ended up on a construction site having sex. And oh. they both seemed to really enjoy this. So they started doing it all the
1: time. Oh, okay. I mean, moderation's a good thing,
0: too. Nope. Richard was letting on a lot of his repressed sexual energy from his entire childhood. Shirley was like, we are obviously in love. <laughs> and Richard was like, yeah, lust in love, same all right. Same thing. Works for me. So, like, it was interesting because remember I told you that he used women as, like, perfect and pure. Uh-huh. So he was just like, well, you know, I bet you she wouldn't do this stuff if we hadn't drank all day. Like, that's my fault. I've been corrupting her. So he was just like, it's fine outside of the fact that like she gets wasted and we have sex it's still perfect beautiful virginal shirley
1: well maybe you getting so wasted maybe
0: well he was happy <laughs> nothing mattered young love, and and then they they were pregnant Like three weeks later.
1: Oh, lovely.
0: (laughs) So they were supposed to go on a date. And he was like, yo, you want to go to the bar? And she's like, "Ah, I can't.
1: Why not? So she's like, hey, can we go
0: talk? And there she told him she was pregnant. Both of their families was like, oh, yeah, y'all got to get married.
1: Of course, yeah.
0: So um, and they organized it so that like it was very fast so that she was not showing um, Shirley's family definitely expected him to do the right thing and he absolutely married her. Mm-hmm. She moved into the house with his mom and his sister and her husband. Oh my god. Um, Mary began teaching her all the, the, the wifely things she would do to be a good homemaker. It wasn't the worst situation imaginable.
1: I hear a butt coming along. <laughs> At
0: first. <laughs> um see these thoughts popped in for him. When he met Shirley, she was that beautiful, perfect virgin.
1: Now she's not. Now
0: she's pregnant. She's a whore.
1: You did it to her.
0: <laughs> well, it gets worse. One night she declined him because she was tired and he held her down and he physically beat her and sexually assaulted her. Mm. Um, in fact, she refused to have sex with him from that point forward. And he it pretty much was a daily occurrence that he would beat the crap out of her and rape her. And Shirley was in a terrible position. She's pregnant. She's married to this monster. She doesn't have a job, and she doesn't think she can go home. Her only friends were Carolyn and Mary, who were also both afraid of him. Yeah. Even more so after seeing what he'd done to her.
1: Wasn't um, the sister's husband was still in the...
0: He was. And I wonder about that. Hmm. It's, it's a rough situation because there's definitely a time period in the past where it was like, ah, he, beats, he beats his wife. I'm
1: not going that's to touch That's their business. That. Yeah, I'm not going to touch that. Huh. Yeah,
0: that's their business. Hmm. So I wonder if it was like that for them. Yeah, but um,
1: everybody in the house is afraid of him, though.
0: The women are. Yeah, so. He doesn't do anything when the other man's around.
1: Of course not. Okay.
0: Well, Richard stopped taking extra shifts. He started drinking, the headaches again. He was violent pretty much and sour to everyone in the house. When the booze stopped helping with the headaches, he turned to pills. He started polyabusing drugs, trying to find a way to self-medicate, still abusing his wife pretty much every day. Eventually, he started going back out onto the street and, like, not coming home, Um, which did make the women in the household feel safer. But financially, they were like,
1: fuck. Yeah, you're struggling again.
0: Um. Carolyn's husband was like, listen, I can't pay for two wives and a mother-in-law and myself. <laughs> the cops started seeing Richard down at the precinct again. And uh when the heat from the Dallas PD was too much, he would hop on a train to a new town and start fights there. Why? Just don't fight. Because <laughs> fighting made him feel better. Oh my god. Shirley kind of held on to the foolish notion that, you know, he's gonna get clean and he's gonna get better for the baby. And um, Shirley gave birth to Robbie Lynn Speck on July 5th, 1962. And she was definitely alone when it happened. Um, hmm. And that's because he was in prison in McKinney, Texas, for putting a man in the hospital during a bar oh fight. My God. When he came back to Dallas, Shirley and his daughter were gone. He tried to very much, like, insult and berate the information out of his mom and sister, but they were like, eh, no thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. hmm he was miserable, not just because Shirley the whore thought poorly of him, um, but because his mom and sister, who, you know, are definitely still virginal angels, were mad at him.
1: It, OK,
0: so he quits drinking. He's like, I'm going to prove to my mom and my sister I'm a good man. He got his job back. But he started drinking again. And now he was like starting fights at work. And like he knew he was gonna get fired, and then he did something kind of stupid. So the employee checks would all get like put together at the end of the week in this one spot. And so Richard grabbed his check and another man's check. Of course he did. And he forged his coworker's signature and cashed it. And then he like got real paranoid. He was like, "Gosh, they're gonna show up at my door. I'm gonna get arrested. Oh my god." And so then he was like, when the police didn't show up. On like Sunday, he like broke into a grocery store and because he didn't realize that like they empty the the money out, yeah. which is what every business does. You always do that because you never want to have like a pile of cash on site. No, just say um, Oh, God. He was only able to steal $3 that was left in the till. He also stole some beer after realizing what a terrible thief he was. Like- and then um, he went to work. And he was promptly fired on the spot because they were like, you're the only person who would do this. And so he assumed the police already knew everything. Mm -hmm. So he told them he admitted to the fraud and the burglary, even though they didn't know anything about it. Thanks for the info. He just assumed they are. They knew that's why they were there at his job. And so he admitted to fraud and burglary charges and he was going to go to jail. For a total of forty-seven dollars. Which in our money, we're talking about 300 bucks.
1: Still, come on, no. That's not no.
0: Um, he's put in prison at Huntsville, uh, given a 16 month sentence. Yeah, 12, no, 18, year and a half. Sorry, <laughs> bad math on my part. Um, he honestly was mostly left alone in the prison. Because he was emotionally unstable. And they were just like, we're just going to leave this weirdo alone. Um, He made it through that. I did write 16 months. See, I was right. 16 months (laughs) dead in prison, unharmed. But covered in jailhouse tattoos. Um, When he came back home, a lot had changed. Carolyn and her husband had moved out because they were expecting a baby. Um, So Mary was like, sure, you can come back. But she was like smothering him. And he hated it. Also, now, without Caroline's husband to stop Richard, he was able to, like, pump his mom for information about Shirley. Um, Shirley originally struggled, but she had gotten contributions from her church, from um, Caroline and Mary, Mm -hmm. and her own mother had helped her. And, you know, she kind of bounced back. She was doing all right. She had a baby. She met this guy. His name, all Richard knew was that his name was Mr. Price. And they were kind of taking it slow until Mr. Price realized that that she was like, po po. Like oh. he was like, oh, this is really bad. She shouldn't be living this way. And so he kind of like fast tracked their relationship. And so he was gonna like, marry her, but she was still married. Mm. Um, Richard took this information okay at first. One thing it did was it solidified in his mind, Shirley is definitely a whore. Like, all women are whores, and this is totally her fault and not mine, because all women are whores.
1: Yeah, of course. Not my fault. Well, I didn't do anything here.
0: So, January 9th, 1965, a week after being released, because he was actually released after only doing 12 months parole. He got wasted. He spent the last of his money on booze and attacked a random woman on the street. Oh, my God. He got caught a few blocks away and was convicted of aggravated assault and put in prison again for 16 more months. Um, Back to Huntsville. Um, But what happened is that he ended up getting let out because it was supposed to be concurrent mm-hmm. sentences so he got released 10 months early because of a clerical error the system was like oh he's just back in for a parole violation not a parole violation and 16 more months um so he reached out to his mom again he got a job at a meat packing plant um, now he was an ex-con twice over so he didn't have a whole lot of choices for work he worked there for three months Dr- he was a delivery driver he got in six accidents oh. God. and somehow they didn't fire him until he just didn't show up enough times
1: are you serious i mean that that tracks <laughs>
0: <laughs> um he very like he he got he made a friend with a lady who owned a bar and, and her name is jenny it was called jenny's lounge jenny was cool she's 29 years old mm. ex-pro wrestler
1: Ooh, i like it beefy lady um <laughs>
0: And so he started spending all his time there, but like it wasn't just to drink; it was also to like flirt with Jenny.
1: I mean, who wouldn't? I like to (laughs) (laughs) flirt.
0: Busybody Mary was like, "Where's he going?" So like one day she like followed him when he left the house and saw him go to Jenny's bar, and she's like, "Ah, crap, he's drinking again." Mm. So she went inside to look, and there she saw him like sitting at the bar, like just talking Mm -hmm. to Jenny, and like enraptured by jenny and like and she's like oh he he likes a lady so like she when he came home she like started trying to like get information oh is there a new woman in your life what's Mm -hmm. going on and um she really wanted him to like she really wanted to encourage him with this relationship because mary only had a part-time job and richard didn't have any money and she wanted him out So she kind of manipulated him into thinking that he should be a father figure to Jenny's children because he very much was like upset about the whole I can't see my kid thing. So what started happening was that he would watch Jenny's kids and then he would spend the nights with Jenny. Mm -hmm. She got a free babysitter and he had his lust sated and his mom wasn't bothering him.
1: Nice. Nice. Okay. Win, win, win.
0: Of course, Richard can't just enjoy this nice arrangement. Um, He started kind of getting bothered by the fact that this seemed a little transactional for him. Um, So he started sneaking down to the bar while she was working at night. um, And he found out. Okay, so this. mm, This is one thing that really irks me. January of 1955. Shirley files for divorce. Mary's the one who told him. Even though. Richard is separated for years and living with another woman. Mhm. He is enraged.
1: Why? Cuz you got another lady. Mm,
0: doesn't matter. Who cares? That night he was downstairs and he like saw a customer like give money to Jenny and like hold her hand too long and he freaked out starts beating the crap out of this guy. Um He ended up being the man until Jenny and some of the customer's friends, like, threw him outside. Mm. And then she ran over to the payphone to call 911. And then he, like, pulled out his knife and nearly attacked her Uh -uh. because he thought it was one of the men. Like, she was shocked. She's like, this is the guy who I leave around my children. Exactly. So she never spoke to him again. Because it was a stabbing. The police took him in for questioning and for the first time in uh, this criminal record, someone was like, maybe, maybe he has some mental problems. Um, because the way the cops looked at it was that his previous crimes had all been a means for him to get drugs or alcohol, but this was kind of the first crime of passion for him. Mm. And the cops kind of took pity on him when they realized that he'd attacked a man who'd been flirting with his girlfriend. And they're like, listen, he was just defending his honor and the fight got a little bit out of hand.
1: I'm pretty sure you pulled a knife out and like it didn't get out of hand. It just started out of hand.
0: Well, yeah, because the other guy (laughs) wasn't aware that it was going to be a fight. Exactly. He was just (laughs) paying for his alcohol. Oh my God. The local police actually weren't even going to push for jail time, but because of his previous arrest, they just couldn't ignore it. Mary Mary realized if he went back to court, he was going to serve for a really long time. Um, so she got like a lawyer for him and the lawyer argued everything down to a misdemeanor of creating a public disturbance. He took a plea deal and agreed to pay $10, which he couldn't pay because he was broke. So they put him in jail for three days. Okay. He did his time. He went back to Mary's house, but he was pretty convinced that Mary didn't want him there and he knew he couldn't go to Jenny's house because he was like, she might beat my ass and she's big enough to do it. I'm
1: pretty sure she would.
0: Um, <clears throat> he started working like odd jobs to make money and move out. He was still drinking, polyabusing, any drugs could get his hand on. After about two months, he saved a little bit of money and he bought a car from a guy he met at a bar. His plan was to drive somewhere and start a new life because in his mind, Dallas was just a whole lot of bad memories. The car was a crappy investment. So he was like, I'm going to break into a shop and steal 70 cartons of cigarettes out of the back. And he starts selling them out of the back of his car. He realized that everybody who bought those cigarettes from him was a witness. (laughs) So he abandons the car and grabs the cash, a warrant out for his arrest the next day. Because he would abandoned the car and it still had all of the papers in it. (sighs) And so they went and they talked to the owner. And the owner was like, oh, yeah, I sold it to this guy, Richard. And so he hid in an abandoned house. He showed up at his mom's house. And she was like, you need to get the hell out of here. (laughs) Um, My neighbors already say they're looking for you. And she's like, if you get caught, you're going to jail for a long time. This would have been his 42nd arrest.
1: Oh, my God.
0: In Dallas. So Caroline shows up in her husband's car, drives him to a bus station, and buys him a ticket to Chicago to avoid going to jail.
1: I mean, hey, his family helped him.
0: So, he goes to Chicago. His older sister, Martha, picks him up. Martha was a lot older than him, so they barely had any of a relationship because she was already moved out of the house mm-hmm. by the time he was, like, born. Um, She had a husband, and his name was Gene Thornton. And Gene didn't really like Richard, but he was like, Ugh, I'm going to grin and bear this. This is my, like, wife's younger brother. He's a bum, but whatever. Um, so Gene very much was like, yeah, you know what? You should move back to Monmouth. Didn't you love Monmouth? (laughs) And then like within days, they put him on a bus to Monmouth. they just
1: freaking like, yeah, I know you just came here, but guess what? There's a better place.
0: Listen, his last surviving brother, Howard, the oldest, picks him up and gives him a job. And while Richard was still drinking a lot of his paycheck, he did better there. Um... Howard tried to like support his baby brother, but the two had very different lifestyles. Like Howard was just like a straight laced kind of dude and Richard was a druggie. Mm. Um, So when Richard moved out to a hotel on March 25th that year, he was pretty happy about it. Um, He ended up getting into a bar fight shortly after moving into the hotel, spent a couple days in jail. His job didn't fire him, but they were like, if you miss one more day, we're going to kick you out. Mm. Like before, when he had gotten reprimanded at work, he started becoming abusive to his co-workers. And while he was a really good worker, he really brought the morale down. Um, Part of his sour mood is that because he hadn't had sex since January. Well, that's your own fault, sir. And so he was kind of jonesing for a fix. And then his mother, the genius, sends him a letter saying that the divorce had been granted because he'd missed all the court dates.
1: (sighs) so so wait okay
0: so, so she had filed for divorce and he got into the fight in january yeah three months later after he didn't know what was going on in the court system he was avoiding the court system so he definitely wasn't going to show up to court was always in the, the court. yeah um so uh he he uh went right back on his bullshit drinking drugs and now he picked up a new crime that he really liked rape uh his that's, first cry his first victim was virgil harris she was in her 60s. She lived in one of the homes that Richard liked to hang out in when they were being built when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like, you could get high and, like, squat in those houses. Mm-hmm. So he was familiar with the area, and he noticed she lived alone. He very much watched, waited, and planned this attack against her. April 3rd, he breaks into her house, ties her up, blindfolds her, assaults her, robs her, and then says, Thank you and good night on the way out. <sighs> But Richard's rage still wasn't sated, though, because she was, like, older, he kind of held her in the same esteem as his mother, and therefore he could not view her like he viewed the young whores that he wanted to punish.
1: Oh, so you're going to punish her now.
0: Well, so a week later, he's out drinking, and a female bartender makes a joke about him, and he gets real upset. And so, near this bar was, um, like, a little farm-type area. And he had been one of the day laborers who had helped build up part of this farm. Specifically, a pig pen has something that he had done. So, he kind of, sla- you know, mm. storms out. And he's standing near the pig pen. And the bartender, Mary Kay Pierce, comes out and apologizes to him. And he punches her in the stomach with such force that he ruptured her liver. Oh. Um, he dragged her deeper into the pig pen and he was going to reap her, but she fought back um, and she managed to like unsettle the pigs mm-hmm. to the point where they were making noises. And he got kind of spooked and he left her to die in the pig pen, which happened shortly after.
1: Look here, these, 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 uh, these women bartenders, don't mess with them. No fuck you up.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, she was just like, Yeah, hey, you know, I'm sorry. And
1: yeah, she came out to apologize yeah, to she's you too. Like, I, didn't, I didn't mean on. to upset
0: you, you know. You're a nice guy. And like, but like he you know, that that rage, that issue that he had with the rage, it was just mm-hmm. because at that moment she was a stand-in for who he was really mad at. He was still mad at Shirley.
1: Okay. Well that's still your fault. But and okay. this is
0: him doing what he wanted to do to Shirley, to somebody else. So that was his surrogate uh for his anger. The police were immediately suspicious of him. They were like, well, he knows that area. He helped build that place. He was at the bar. Um, His boss was like, hey, if you come in, you know, I can give you more work. Mm -hmm. And the cops picked him up. Um, This time, Richard lied. He told them, yeah, I've been there. He's like, yeah, I worked on this site, but I don't know about a murder. The police knew that the timeline he'd given them for where he was that night was weird, but all they had was circumstantial evidence. They decided they were going to stop by. Um, they were like, you know, don't go anywhere.
1: <laughs> so when that.
0: they decide to stop by his hotel on April 18th, he is not there.
1: Of course. Well, he gonna listen.
0: <laughs> he'd taken all his clothes and left. He told the hotel clerk he was getting to, going to, the, uh, to wash his clothes. In his hotel room, he had left all the stuff that he had stolen from Virgil's house, along with other burglaries. Um, but the police found no evidence of Mary's murder there. They looked for him, but he had jumped on a freight train and went back to Chicago. Hmm. He showed up at Martha's doorstep, and he was like... There were drug dealers, and they wanted me to sell the drugs. He's like, so I had to leave. I don't want to sell drugs, Martha. And, like, if Martha had been somebody who knew anything about the real world and wasn't as straight-laced as she was, she would have known that that made
1: no sense. Not at all. Someone's going <laughs> to force you into selling drugs. Well, actually, no, That that's a thing. Um, but- <laughs> it
0: worked, though, because Gene was working nights. So the two didn't have to see each other. Mm-hmm. And so Gene was less angry. Um, problem was Richard had discovered the things that made him stop being so angry. Killing somebody and raping somebody. My oh, God. Um, the rape thing worked for him because he struggled with seeing women as anything other than pure virgins. And if you consented to sex with him, it messed up his fantasy. If he took it from them. It was his choice, not theirs. And he found a certain peace with mixing violence and sex um, and and the power that he got over women. So Gene, being the smart one here, was like, yeah, well, you know, you're kind of a piece of crap. I doubt that you uh could handle joining the Navy. And so Richard was like, I can't join the Navy. What I, are you talking about?
1: I like Gene. It's very manipulative. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Richard took the bait. <clears throat> signed up uh strangely though in the beginning being in the navy was really good for him um and he stayed out of trouble uh it was almost like having a set place to be at every time really worked for him mm-hmm. and then one day um he missed a shift it was may 3rd where they were still in 1966 oh my goodness he missed a shift and his commanding officer sent people to look for him they found him curled up in a ball in like pain And he had like a like hot to the touch fever. And they were like, there's no doctor on board. But like, this is obviously some kind of infection. Mm -hmm. So they um, helicoptered him to the it's Coena Peninsula in Michigan to St. Joseph's Hospital because his appendix was very big and it did not burst. Thank goodness, because that's a real long recovery time. Yes. Um, But he did have an emergency appendectomy and he woke up free from pain and very high. (laughs) on drugs Uh Um, uh-oh uh-oh may 20th a week after being released from the hospital they put him back on the ship um he started drinking again his superior officers were like he's really not fit to be a (laughs) seaman originally they let it all slide but they were like listen if you can keep it together you can drink and he 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 was he was sloppy Mm mm-hmm I know you're laughing because of the word Stephen, because you are a child, Brian. That's what you call the sea soldiers. I, I know. Anyway. <laughs> Stephen.
1: Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I
0: know it. I knew it. Um, well, he managed to keep it together until about June 14th, when he confronted an officer while he was drunk, and they were like, nah, you're done. They sent him back to shore, and he was fired without pay for his time on the boat. Oh, yeah that sucks um he went back to chicago but he's like i can't really face Jean and martha so he finds like a cheap rooming house to live in in east chicago on 99th street in south ewing avenue he really only had one friend in the world in his mind and um her name was judy uh okay so it's uh, a like um she was a nursing aide who he'd met when he was recovering in the hospital and she really was like just a friend to him. There yeah, was no – it was confusing to him because he only viewed women as saints or sluts. So here's this person in the middle who's friends. just treating him like a regular person and just being regular nice to him. Oh, my God. Um, so he called her and she was just like, listen, um, come to Michigan. You know, I'll, I'll we can hang out. And then he took a train. He met her in um, Houghton. Uh, she took him to the Douglas house, which was a local hostel. They had lunch. Um, and they did he didn't talk about getting fired from the Navy. And uh, she didn't talk about the messy divorce that she was a part of. And they kind of spent the afternoon laughing. And when it was time for her to leave, she gave him an envelope with $80, hmm. which is about $670 today. So it's not a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, like I said, he was really confused because she didn't want to have sex with him. Therefore she wasn't a whore, but she wasn't fulfilling the, role of being, like, the virgin mother either.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, The next day, he went back to Chicago with more money than he'd pretty much ever seen at any time. He went back to Gene and Martha, and they very much weren't happy. And, like, Gene was just like, you gotta work. Like, you can't be here and not work, buddy. So, um, Gene was like, you know what? We gonna go to the Union Hall for Navy men. Mm -hmm. As NMU. And he's like, you're going to keep looking to see if you can get on another boat. Um, problem was, nobody wanted to hire him because they knew he was a drunkard who liked to start fights. Um, he managed to somehow get invited to work on the SS Flying Spray, which was a cargo ship that was headed to South Vietnam. But when he arrived there, someone else with more seniority was given his job. And so he was really upset about that because he had taken a cab. And spent a lot of money. It was a 30-minute ride Mm. to get to the the port. Oh, okay. And so he wasted a lot of that money that Judy gave him um, to go there. And um, he spent pretty much all weekend complaining and drinking and yelling And then on Monday morning, Martha and Jean drove him into the city with his suitcase and was like, you got to go somewhere, but you can't be here. We're
1: moving. Sorry, don't come back to our house.
0: And pretty much Martha was just like, you are too old to keep relying on me. And like trying to help you is ruining my marriage. Mm -hmm. The next day he went back to NMU hiring hall. He got an assignment for the SS Sinclair on um, Great Lakes, which was an oil tanker. When he arrived at the Sinclair, same thing happened. He didn't even have enough money to rent a room here, so he slept on a construction site. Wednesday, July 13th, he tries again at the hiring hall. He's really angry he's getting the runaround. Um, Martha and Jean had come to like give him a ride, mm-hmm. um, and they talked with him at about 9 a.m. They were parked on East 100th Street, which was near the Lowell Elementary School and across from the nursing townhouses. After about an hour and a half of waiting for work, he got tired and left. He took his last $25 and walked to the Shipyard Inn, which was another rooming house that had a tavern there. He spent the rest of the day drinking into different taverns. Um, he met a lady who was, her name was Ella Mae Hooper. She was 53 and convinced her to come back with him to his hotel room where he raped her at knife point and stole her twenty-two caliber Rome pistol.
1: Oh, wait, she had a gun?
0: She did have a gun. Really?
1: Is okay. Okay. He brought a gun to. She brought a gun to a knife like.
0: She brought a gun to what she thought was a casual sexual encounter.
1: Yes, but unfortunately, and
0: not. it was not. Um, then he took himself out to dinner, at Kay's Pilot House. Returned to the shipyard tavern, at about ten twenty p.m. Went upstairs and came back down dressed in all black, carrying a switchblade and Ella's handgun. He hadn't made that much money from stealing from Ella. But his plan was he had seen the nurses coming and going this up to this week while he was at the the union hall. And his plan was that he was going to show up there and he was going to rob one of the houses, um, specifically the house on 2319 East 100 Street
2: Hmm.
0: at about 11 p.m. July 13th, 1966, he walked up to the door and he banged on it four times. Um, a woman by the name of Corazon Amaro opened the door and he pretty much, by the time she opened the door, he had his gun out and he was just like, hey, where are your companions? He then woke up another five residents of the house and he was just like, I'm not going to hurt you. I just need enough money to get to New Orleans. Um, two of the women Uh, Nina Jo Schmal and Patricia Matusik offered to go get their purses right away. And he was like, you can do it one by one. The other people who were there were Pamela Wilkening and Merlita Gargolo and Valentina Passion. They had been yanked out of bed and like physically like picked up by him. So they were freaked out.
2: Yeah. The other
0: two women were like, we'll go get our purses because he hadn't touched them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like the ones who had been like physically, like one of the girls had been physically yanked out of her like bunk bed. He was like, listen, I'll let you go. One of the roommates, Gloria Davy, busts through the door drunk. She thinks that she's going to get in trouble from her roommates and she walks into
1: a robbery. A robbery.
0: Oh, God. And he grabs her, throws her on the ground, ties all of them up. And he's like, listen, this is not, I'm not going to do anything. Like, I just don't want you to run and call the cops as soon as I leave. Lies. Well, what happened here was that something kind of took over him. He's standing over this group of beautiful women. These are women who would have never given him the time of day. Um, And he's just like, I have complete power over them. So he untied Pamela enough that she could like walk. Mm
1: -hmm. And he
0: was just like, listen, I just want to talk to you alone. And he pulled her into like another room. So then Suzanne Ferris and Marianne Jordan arrived home and they kind of like walked upstairs. And then they walked by. And they see Richard standing over their roommate with a knife. And both of them try and run away. So he closes that door and chases the other two of those women down. Um, at no point yet had he hit anybody or hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. But Marianne was trying to fight. And he was like, oh, cool. Now I can hurt you. What? That, was, that was it. He stabbed her to death. And while he was still holding Suzanne down. And then he choked Suzanne, left them in a room, went back to the bedroom where he'd left Pamela tied up, and she was terrified, Mm -hmm. and she didn't fight back at all, and he just was kind of disgusted by the fact that she didn't fight back, and he just very quickly stabbed her.
1: Well, yeah, you got all the power. I can't do anything against you right now. You got me tied up. What do you...
0: He was was getting off on the thrill of them fighting.
1: I'm sorry, sir, but you're not getting what you want
0: (laughs) Well. (laughs) This went on for the rest of the night. He would kill one, he would go to the bathroom, clean everything up. Then he would go back into the bedroom where he had them all tied up, grab another one. And he knew that there were eight women who lived there, mm. but what he wasn't aware of was that he had nine women in the room. Because Cora, Corazon Cora didn't live there; she was just visiting. That's right. Just... And so while he was gone, at one point. Cora began slowly sliding under the bed and hiding. Hmm. And some of the other girls tried to do that too, but they didn't quite get all the way under the bed and he ended up Pulling taking them. Out. them yeah. Um. Finally, though, he was just like, ah, my last one. And he was, he felt like he was alone in the house. So he picked up Gloria and he was going to a, well, he, he raped her before he killed her. Mm-hmm. And... This is like from Cora's testimony, which was that she watched it happen and she she saw Gloria go to another place. She pretty much at that point had completely disassociated from the night. Um, and Cora was afraid that if she even breathed, he would know where she was under the beds and drag her out too. Richard was exhausted at this point. It had been hours of... It's not exactly easy to stab someone to death. It is... <laughs> Physically demanding. It's true, true. He dragged her out of the room by her feet into the hallway. She was still alive at this point. And then he was like, ah, here's a random piece of a sheet. And he grabbed it, um, wrapped it around her neck. And he choked her so hard that it, like, cut into her neck. For Richard, this was the best night of his life. And he's like, "Whoo! I, ca- I had all this control over women. He washed himself up, convinced that there there were eight bodies, eight mm-hmm. bedrooms. I got this. Or, you know, eight beds. Yeah. Um, He didn't remember that Cora had been the one to even let him in.
1: Oh, goodness. Okay. Um,
0: She waited and climbed out of a window in the room after he dragged Gloria out of the house. She was sitting on, like, a ledge near, like, the first floor roof. Mm -hmm. Sobbing. And one of the girls across the street woke up and saw her. That girl was Judy Dykton. And Judy was just like... A lot of those girls over there are pretty dramatic, but Cora is not dramatic. And she's like, she's not sitting on her roof crying over a breakup. So Judy wrapped herself in like her robe and like ran across the street. And as she got closer, she could hear Cora just saying over and over. She's like, they're all dead. Oh my God, they're all dead. Judy made it to the first flight of steps and she saw Gloria on the couch naked and choked so hard that her head looked partially severed mm-hmm. and she ran back across the street and she talked to her house mother, Mrs. Bison. That whole house of women walked with Mrs. Bison. Cause Mrs. Bison was like, I need to see this for myself. Mm-hmm. Like she went inside the mm-hmm. house alone and then came right back outside, threw up on the front lawn and called the hospital where they all worked. And was just like, all of my girls have been killed. And the receptionist was like, excuse me. Um, and she's like, you just need to send somebody um, while Mrs. Bison is throwing up on the lawn. Mm-hmm. The girls like wave down the police. Corazon is falling apart on the, the front lawn. Actually, she had jumped down to try and stop Mrs. Bison from going in. She's have... like, no, 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 no. It's really bad in there. And Bison was like, nah, I got this. So no, you don't. everyone's I'll... traumatized.
1: Obviously, you did not get it. You did not have it. The first
0: officer up. who arrived, his name was Daniel Kelly. And he like doesn't know what to do here. Everybody is like screaming and crying. Um, he saw the first murder, and he was like, "Okay, I gotta I gotta walk around the rest of the house and after he confirmed that nobody else was there, mm-hmm. like the killer was gone, he radioed for assistance. Over the radio, all the cops heard, they're all dead. Oh, God, give me the sergeant. And then he said, I dated her sister. I've never seen anything like this. Oh, wow. So he he knew one of the, the victims. A local reporter overheard this address on the radio and rushed over. Of course. Daniel Kelly is like, one, almost shot him because he's like, why are you rushing at me, bruh? Mm. Um. And Joe Cummings is the reporter, and he walks up the steps. Like, he can tell just looking at the, the police officer, like, something bad happened here. Yeah. And, like, Daniel's just like, you really don't want to go in there. And he's like, no, no, it's just a murder. I've seen a lot of murders. <laughs> and so, like, he walked on the first floor, and he was like, oh, yeah, this is bad. You know, but, like, this can't, like, okay, somebody This died.
1: can't get any worse. <laughs>
0: well, then he walked around the rest of the house, and then he came out and also vomited on the front lawn.
1: Oh, he got worse than this, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah fuck out
0: of here in fact when the other officers came up they saw the reporter like freaking like you know bleh, and they were like ah oh, look at this guy
1: until they <laughs> saw what happened everybody's having a few fast. everybody
0: was like this can't be that bad what are you talking about and then they saw what happened um a doctor actually came from the hospital where they all worked and gave cora a sedative because she was having a full-blown breakdown mm-hmm. um like i said she was just there visiting um Frank Flanagan, the commander of Chicago's homicide unit, came and was just like, Joe, you can't say anything. He's like, I don't want anybody to know about how they were killed or the rapes. He's like, this is going to bring out a lot of weirdos in Chicago. He's like, and people are going to try and take credit. and It's going to mess up our investigation. Mm. Joe agreed. Cora was taken to the hospital for observation, and, like, it was really sucky because the cops didn't want to, like, re-traumatize her, but they also needed to know, like, bare minimum what the guy looked like.
2: Yeah.
0: So she did give, like, a a description, barely, before she was fully sedated, and the cops took that and went looking for him. Um, He had been in by a gas station and had dropped off, like, his stuff randomly, Mm -hmm. Um, and the gas station attendant was like, oh, yeah, I remember him. He was, you know, he had, like, a weird southern drawl. The attendant was like, oh he was complaining about being at the hiring hall and how they kept giving him the runaround.
1: Oh, you don't say.
0: So the cops were like, oh, perfect. If he's in the Navy, they, we got everything we need yeah. on this guy. Yes. <laughs> so the Navy was just like, at first, like the main the guy didn't know who he was, but they were just like, oh, no, 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 we got this. Fingerprints, photograph, everything matches exactly what Cora said. They ID'd him within the first two hours of finding out about the attack.
1: Nice. Very nice.
0: Their next deal was, though, we have to find him before he kills anybody else because we've never seen anything like this. We've not had a crime where people murdered an entire house of people before. Mm. We don't know what the next step is here um richard headed back to the inn took a shower and went to bed after murdering all those people he went drinking with his buddies that morning unaware that chicago was looking for him
1: um, he's just having a great old time
0: yeah he, he met some of his old classmates he was like hey hey you want a party um at some point during the day they did hear that there had been a survivor to this attack in east chicago um richard got back to the inn and he had a call from gene and gene was just like hey there's a job down for you at the union (laughs) i love love Gene. i love Gene. richard was like what good luck i can get out of chicago while they're looking for me but then as he sat down like thinking about this information he was just like wait a second the union doesn't call you you have to go down there and get the job so he was like He's like, I don't think my brother-in-law's been down there doing me any favors. So he called the union all himself. And the staff, who was normally pretty rude to him, were like, oh, yeah, we do have a job for you, Mr. Speck. Come on down. I
1: love it. I love it so much.
0: The problem yeah. was they told him that there was a job on the the Sinclair Great Lakes. And it was like, I guess the guy forgot that that was the same job they had offered him three days ago. Because mm. he was like, okay, so... He definitely remembered that one because he spent all his money on a cab. Mm. So he knew they were in on it and he knew he needed to leave. God damn it. (laughs) So he ended up running away. He went to the other side of town. Um, He hired a prostitute who saw his gun and told the hotel workers he had a gun. And the hotel called the cops. And they looked at his IDs and his paperwork. But since things went so slow back then, Mm. every precinct didn't have his picture yet. Right, right, right. Um, And so the cops let him go. Chicago PD however were chasing down his path that he had been through they did find the shipyard in and confirmed his ID they found his schoolmates they talked to them Richard then met up with a couple like he like ended up like hanging out with a bunch of hobos and he was like hey are you guys leaving like what's a good train to hop on and get out of town the hobos were like this guy's weird Um, (laughs) it's bad it's terrible (laughs) Right. Well, <laughs> listen, I'm not gonna make an assessment on hobos. They're oh, yeah, not no, bad no. people.
1: Yeah, me either. No, 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 definitely not. But we just like meet random ass people and they're like, you're fucking weird. I'm yeah, not touching talking- sure. with you dude.
0: Well, so he went to a liquor store on his way back to the little hostel he was staying at, and that is when he saw his pace on every single newspaper.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the hobos called the cops, and the cops were like, Who is this drunk man talking to me? Look. Richard chugged his little bottle of wine, smashed the bottle on the cot that he was sleeping on, and then cut his wrist all the way up to his elbow and waited for death. Um, the cops didn't come, but an ambulance did. And in the ER, as they were saving his life, one of the doctors was like, this is the guy they're looking for. You need to call the police. Um, they recognized the born and hell tattoo that Cora had mentioned seeing. Uh, things went quickly at this point. They had 133 pages of testimony from Cora about that night. Clothing with blood on it. Fingerprints. Somehow, Richard Speck got the best public defender who ever existed in the history of public defenders.
1: This is terrible.
0: (sighs) This guy got so much of the evidence excluded. He was like, listen, that pistol you got, a legal search and seizure because the prostitute told you about it and you didn't have a right to go into his hotel room. Also, she's a prostitute, unreliable witness, that bloody t-shirt that could have been implanted. Every witness you had, every witness they had after the crime happened was a drunkard. And therefore he argued that they were unreliable. Their testimony was unreliable.
1: Prostitutes are not unreliable witnesses.
0: Listen, he even tried to push to get eight different trials. And he said there's no way he can get a fair trial in Chicago because you put his face on every newspaper. So now everybody who lives in here is part of the jury pool and they're going to be tainted.
1: It reminds me of the fucking Rex thing.
0: Well, here's the thing. Judge Passion did agree to most of the stuff except the motion to separate the trials. Okay, cool. No, he was like, you killed them all on the same night. It's all the same trial. Mm-hmm. Because what what uh, his lawyer Jerry was going to do was kind of create, like, a mistrial situation. Um, He tried to find an expert, like, Jerry, sorry, Getty. His name was Gerald Getty. Mm. I call him Jerry because I smushed his name together. Yeah, but Gerald, uh, Getty tried to find an expert who'd say that Richard was clinically insane. He was having trouble. He did get a brain scan and saw that his brain injury was pretty severe and affected the part of his brain related to emotional control. And it had continued to not form properly after the injury. Right. But that wasn't enough for what he was trying to do. There was a psychiatrist who spent a lot of time with him, and his name was Doctor Zaporin, and Zaporin diagnosed him with anxiety, depression, OCD. The problem is, those are all things that come from you coming down off of drugs, all things that happen to people. Um, the Zaporin was the first one to zero in on Richard's Madonna whore complex, though, and how this dominated the way he interacted with women, and was a big major thing. Um, it was it took six weeks, even outside of Chicago. They filtered through six hundred jurors to find a jury that made both sides happy. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, even though Zaporin supported Richard, the lawyer discovered that Zaporin was going to write a book about him—a book that I actually read for this podcast—and <laughs> therefore, the both the defense and the prosecution were like, "We don't trust this doctor." They're like, what if he does something to make the trial go whatever way he wants for his book? Right. So none of them wanted him to testify. And so he didn't. Trial started April 3rd, 1967. Gerald Getty ripped the prosecution to shreds from the jump. He argued that the fingerprints were compromised because Officer Kelly had allowed Joe Cummings to just waltz through the house. Which is true. He shouldn't have been allowed to walk through an yeah, active crime scene.
1: reporter. Come on.
0: The prosecution's case was falling apart. <laughs> and then our girl Cora showed up. I'm going to say, one, she looked like a boss. And I'm going to give you this moment to show you a picture of her because she looked like a G. Um, like, mm-hmm. she showed up with a whole entourage. Uh, she had quietly, like, arrived in the city. Mm-hmm. And everybody who was going to testify or a part of that trial was all sequestered at this Ramada Inn.
1: They're all in one spot. Wow.
0: Yep. Uh, Let me see if I can find some good pictures of her. So, because I love this one picture she showed up with these like glasses on, and I was like, "Oh, she looks like she's ready to fuck shit up."
1: (laughs) You'd love to see it. You'd love to see. There she
0: is with her bodyguards, like walking into the trial. Yeah, Yeah. and she's a tiny little Filipino lady.
1: She does.
0: She does She looks like she is ready to tell some serious business she
1: looks like she is the mob boss and they are her bodyguards i love it okay and the
0: thing was she was poised confident and controlled the entire time she was talking she got on the stand and explained everything in detail the the newspaper articles about this were like the room was silent the entire time and all you could hear were the cry like the parents of the victims crying Mm -hmm. because this was the first time that they had heard everything in this kind of detail. Like they might have known like, oh your daughter was stabbed, oh your daughter was choked. But like Cora gave some very intense testimony. And then the best part I said she's a G. Like, ugh, what a cool lady. (laughs) She ended her testimony and they were like, well, do you see the man who did this in this room? She left the witness box, Mm -hmm. walked over to his table, pointed him in the face and said, this is the man who murdered my friends. Mic drop.
1: No fear. love it. Mm
0: -hmm. On April 15th, after 49 minutes of deliberation, the jury came back with a guilty verdict for all eight murders. He was sentenced to death. But his lawyer did some lawyering and managed to get a stay of execution while the Supreme Court of Illinois looked at the case. On November 22nd, 1968, the Supreme Court, the lower court, ratified that sentence. 1971, however, he was able to find evidence that the prosecution had excluded over 200 jurors because they were anti-capital punishment. And so they looked at his trial again, and he was given a new sentence on November 21st, 1972. He was resentenced to 400 years in prison.
1: So... Death, right? Life, whatever. Um,
0: Richard would request parole hearings every time he was eligible 1976, 77, 81, 84, 87, 1990. Pretty much until the parole board realized that he was bored and that's the (laughs) only reason why he was doing it. Like, dude, get a hobby. He's going to be in prison for a long time and he had no options. Um, in prison, he pretty much ignored the rules. Um, there's a horrible story. They called him the Birdman, okay? Because there was a bird that like flew into his cell and like had a broken wing and he kind of kept it as a pet and nursed it back to health. And so at some point, the warden came down and was like, You can't have a pet in prison, bro. You're in prison. And so he took the bird and he threw it into a fan. Oh killing it and spreading blood all over his cell. And he was wow. like, Well, if nobody can have a pet, he's like, if I can't have a pet, nobody can have it. He's like, Fuck this bird. Wow. Yeah. Oh. oh. Again, very unhinged and everybody knew it.
1: That was very dramatic and uncalled for, sir. I was going to ask you if this was I don't know. I forget who the birdman of Alcatraz is. No, that's but- what they
0: got. They were like, Oh, you're just like the birdman. Yeah. Yeah, that's where they got the name from. Like, people knew about that. But no, no. The warden was like, you can't have birds. And he was like, well, let me kill this bird in front of you. Um, he, he got drugs. He got moonshine smuggled in. When the guards challenged him and were like, stop. He was just like, what are you going to do? Add another hundred years?
1: I mean.
0: <laughs> Actually, sorry. Add another thousand years is the direct quote.
1: Oh, my God.
0: He only ever did one interview in prison. It was for the Chicago Tribune. And he admitted that he did kill the woman. he felt nothing about it, and he barely remembered the night. He died the day before his 50th birthday, 1991. Mm. A lifetime of drug abuse had destroyed his heart, and he just had a massive heart attack. Um, scientists took his brain, and they were like, oh, ho, we gonna look at this. <laughs> um, they discovered that there were major abnormalities in his hippocampus, which controls your memory, mm. and the amygdala, which controls your strong emotions. The hippocampus and amygdala were fused together, which is not what's supposed to happen. Um, so it turns out that like he probably didn't remember a lot.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Um, if the part of his brain that is responsible for memory is completely malformed.
2: Yeah.
0: Um. They took a bunch of tissue slides and they mailed them to Boston, and someone stole them. Oh. And they have no idea where they are. Oh. They assume it was for someone's probable personal. A uh, creepy collection
1: i was about to say <sighs> a creepy museum
0: the rest of his body was not claimed by his family um they finally managed to contact coral uh you know carolyn mm-hmm. and carolyn was like ah, fine we don't want to i don't want to bury him because he'll have like some creepy monument to mm-hmm. his name mm-hmm. so she was like let's just cremate him throw his ashes in the wind and we'll be fine He kind of faded out of the spotlight. People forgot about what happened. And then in 1996, a video gets sent to a Chicago newspaper. In it, Richard Speck is there. One, he has boobs, which they think he got from getting hormones smuggled in. He is performing sex acts on other prisoners, snorting cocaine, having sex on camera, um... Bragging, you know, as I said in the beginning, if they knew how much fun I was having, they'd turn me loose. Illinois lawmakers are embarrassed, angry. Mm-hmm. This was released right uh-uh. after a scandal that happened in Illinois with guards sexually assaulting women prisoners. And so they're just looking at like the the people of Illinois are like, What are you all doing?
1: <laughs> not like not thing. your job, not at all.
0: Fuck. And the one person that they had wanted to kill, here he is, immortalized mocking them for letting him live
1: okay did he have boobs when he died
0: he might have yeah (laughs) okay one quote lives kind of on from that soul interview that he did when he first went to prison they asked why he did it you know and he very nonchalantly said it just wasn't their night
1: fucking strangers people's fucking uh Um, But
0: I do want to end on something nice uh, talking about our lovely survivor, Corazon Amora Atienza. She moved on with her life. Um, Originally, she moved back to the Philippines for a little bit. She got married in 1969. Uh, She moved back to the U.S., settled in Washington, D.C., where she worked at Georgetown University Hospital as a critical care nurse and then the Veterans Medical Center until she retired at 68 years old. Um, she became lifelong friends with the police and the bodyguards and the prosecutor prosecutors who watched over her leading up to the trial and afterward. Mm. People very much tried to protect her from the obsessiveness of the fandoms and the, the creepiness there. Unfortunately, it wasn't the best for all the other families. Some of the families of the other victims were harassed, not in the States, but in the Philippines in Manila. Um, and that was really upsetting to a lot of people. Um, Corazon is 78 years old. She spends her days these right now taking care of her grandchildren. She has a daughter named Abigail, who is a nurse as well. And her son is an accountant.
1: Nice. Nice.
0: Her last, uh, interview response was in 2016, the 50 year
1: anniversary anniversary of the
0: crime. Um, she didn't do any direct, she doesn't do any direct talking (laughs) to the press. Um, The former assistant attorney, William Martin, spoke to the press on her behalf and said she's happy. Um, The case still changed. Everybody it touched. Um, They still exchange emails. He says that Cora still has nightmares about her attack and she does harbor some survivor's guilt still. But she looks at it as if someone somewhere, maybe God, was looking out for her that night. And, yeah.
1: Love to see it. Okay. That's a good. I like the ending that's nice
0: yeah i decided we would add it on you know because like i said i we talk a lot about a lot of people who die and not that often about people who survive like pretty horrible things so i did run a whole little series i'm gonna add more to it of of women who survived
1: i do remember watching that video now we're her with those glasses on yes looking like a g yes when you first like, heard her name, I was like, oh, I remember that one. What it also
0: means though, that the prosecutors, they coached her very well. Mm. Because you can't show any weakness. You can't cry on the stand. They use that against you.
1: right? And, she, and they were
0: like, cold as ice, Cora.
1: She was a boss.
0: Even, uh, even in the interview that I saw, um, the Chicago Tribune with Martin, with uh, William Martin, mm. he talked about that moment where she got off the witness box and got in his face. And I was like, he was like, that was, that was brave. He was like, that was awesome. <laughs> brave, kinda, <laughs> it was brave. It kind of
1: silly, but you, you know, I do what you do. I, I like it. I like it.
0: Well, very similar. Something happened in Ted Bundy's case. Ted Bundy was like, are you sure it's me? And she was like, I'm absolutely sure it was you. <laughs> like the woman, yeah. He's like, how do you know it was me who attempted to murder you? Well, I saw so your obnoxious
1: fucking face Shit, i mean mm-mm.
0: Ugh. but anyway what do you have for us i'm sorry this one went a little long today but
1: <laughs> but no it was a great story i loved it i'm okay with it being long <laughs> mm-mm. well today i'm gonna give you a little story time first okay, okay. it's a little personal story time actually it's something Ooh. that happened to me um now i like to think of myself as like, sort of sensitive. Okay. Like, a, a sensitive. Not, you know what I mean? Like, someone who's sensitive to the... Have
0: you had experiences? I've had... Why have we never discussed this? <laughs> I have had experiences.
1: I've had a couple of experiences, Okay. Yeah.
0: At some point, we gotta do a... We're gonna have to record this conversation and make it, like, a
1: bonus for the Patreon. Yeah, yeah. Um. And, like, it kind of runs in the family, too. Okay, yeah, same. Um, like, with my mom, she can me and her we have this thing like we have prophetic dreams
0: oh I don't uh, like that yeah it's kind of shitty my sister and I have <laughs> had we we've had shared dreams multiple times oh nice yeah it on uh, my family it runs down the indigenous side Ah, uh, the indigenous women
1: I think that's yeah <laughs> it's for us um but yeah like she can tell when someone's going like she has dreams of people being pregnant and then Ooh. like someone who's trying to hide it and she's like
0: I just wanted to say I want your mom to never have a dream about me (laughs) (laughs) I need her to keep that energy away from me
1: don't put that evil on me Ricky Bobby it
0: didn't happen if she calls you one night and says you know uh, I had a dream about your uh, podcast (laughs) co-host just be like no you didn't mom no No, you you didn't didn't. don't worry about it
1: (laughs) don't worry about it keep that evil to yourself Mm -mm, Um,
0: we don't like that
1: but um, I've had at least a couple the 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 last one i had was with a friend of mine i use quotations around a friend and
0: is it somebody you don't like
1: no it's um someone that um um uh, how do you say this uh friends with benefits
0: oh okay
1: um so this was like years ago um we were we worked together uh-huh. so
0: oh that's a terrible choice yeah yeah, and, yeah wh-
1: whatever you,
0: just, you, People know. you work with is such an awful choice sir
1: <laughs> anyway so one night i had this dream about her with my other friend that i worked with oh no and and she's like I mean, in a, on in one
0: hand a, the ancestors let you know
1: yeah and then and you then getting
0: like, done dirty but still
1: <laughs> dang. It, it's funny cuz I wake up the next morning I'm like damn that was a shitty ass dream. <laughs> you know, like I feel real bad. I felt bad like real like inside like just terrible for the rest of the day. And she's like I had and she messaged me like later at night she's like I had something to tell you. I'm like you slept with this such and such and she's like how would you know? And I'm like cuz I had a fucking dream about it. I I know these things, and then she's like, "I don't believe it." Like, whatever, anyway, whatever. You ain't
0: gotta believe me, girl. I yeah, knew.
1: I know. I already knew. But um, I I've had I'd see I'd say like a couple experiences when I was a child as well. The one that I'm gonna talk about is um, I'm gonna say it's kind of like a sleep paralysis type of oh, thing. Oh no! So um, you know we. We're in our attic. Um, me and my brother shared a room.
0: Oh, you your attic was your room was an attic?
1: Yeah, but it was awesome attic. Okay. It was, it was very spacious. Okay. <laughs> it was a big house.
0: That's good because I think of those little tiny little swoosh.
1: The little crawl like, oh no. no yeah that's the one I have in my house now. But no 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 no. no. Um, yeah, you can feel like a whole bunk bed. Yeah, we had room enough for all. So of much us. space for activities. Yeah, so much space for activities. Oh my god. <laughs> um... And it overlooked my parents' room, so there's a little door that overlooked their room. Um one night, I'm laying in the top bunk, and for some reason like I wake up and I throw like the, the covers over my head. Um the light turns on. There's like you don't hear anybody walking, the light just turns on.
0: Oh, do you have one of those situations where there's like a light at the bottom of the steps? Like you flip it on, and you walk yeah, upstairs. Yeah, 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 I got you. Exactly. That's how it is in my parents' house.
1: Um, but nobody walked upstairs. the stairs. There's nobody walking at all. Um, someone was like laying there, like looking up in my, you know, my eyes were open. I was not moving. I was like, I don't want to move because I know there's something like there. Just, it, I just felt like there was something around me. And remember, I said there was, there was nobody walking around, right? Um. <laughs> i'm listening and
0: i just happened to realize that i have 50 million things oh my God. Open on my phone and i'm deleting them all
1: and all of a sudden there's just like this black figure no type i of hate thing black that just crosses ac- like it just waves I across shadow figures my face i'm underneath the blanket and i can see it and then nothing like turns off And that's it.
0: Mm. Are we talking about shadow people
1: today? Oh, my God. Yeah, we're talking about shadow people today. Uh,
0: I have positives and negative experiences with those. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, this is, um, I don't know. I think.
0: Well, the interesting thing is that I've heard people like the lady who I watch on uh, Dead Files. Mm -hmm. She talks about shadow people in a different way. She talks about them being like ancient and inhuman
1: yeah the, and
0: that hasn't been my experience they yeah. the ones i've experienced seem like people
1: they there are i can so it's uh, okay please they're.
0: explain more because i'd be like what's she talking about
1: yeah now, they're shaped
0: like a people and they just kind of some
1: some of them are okay some of them are not uh so shadow people can be associated with of course sleep paralysis um <clears throat> before we get into too deep into sleep paralysis. Um, Let's get a little history of these shadow things. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the earliest depiction of a shadow being would have to be from a short story from 1887, uh, titled Le Hora, or The Outsider. Um, It was written by a French author, uh, Guy Guy de Mois Poisson. Okay, poissante. so French. <laughs> yes. Um, I did not take French <laughs> at all. Listen, um,
0: I made a video and I called the man Gary Plouch. His <laughs> name is definitely Pochet <laughs> Pochette. But I don't know why my brain just didn't. He's from Louisiana, France, whatever. He, he's a Cajun. There yep. you go. Oh, well. You know, um, we make these mistakes. Whatevs.
1: Yeah, so in the story, he t- he tells a tale of an aristocrat who's driven into madness. Uh, the character complains of being afraid to sleep, where he has dreams. Um, there's a shadowy presence sitting mm. on his chest, and it's using it. It, it has its, its the shadow has its mouth pressed against his. And it's literally, he can feel his soul leaving his body in these dreams. Okay. And...
0: That sounds pretty scary.
1: Yeah. Now, I don't know much about sleep paralysis. I might have had sleep paralysis that night, but who knows? Um... But I know that people who deal with it kind of have like similar descriptions. Like, mm-hmm. they have a pressure on their chest, and they can barely breathe, or... Like they right, breathe. right, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. <clears throat> now, the actual word, shadow people, or person, or shadow being, whatever, uh, first came up in a radio drama from 1953 uh, titled The Creatures in the shadows oh i wish we still had radio dramas though y'all i mean this is kind of a radio drama this is a podcast are kind of
0: i mean there are podcasts that people do as radio dramas yeah you know
1: i do love those i mean you
0: kind of try to do that with your youtube channel and we could totally do something like that as a third podcast but before we do a third podcast y'all we need to make the first one financially soluble okay (laughs) We got a million ideas, but we need that Patreon money coming in, okay? <laughs> yes,
1: we need that money. Oh my god. <clears throat> but you know, what what are these beings? Like you said, um, some people say they're like inhuman, or you think of them as human. Some people think of them as demons, or right? Yeah, I've heard that. Or ghosts, or you know, just figments of our sleep-addled minds.
0: Um, yeah but what if you don't be sleep? when you see it because <laughs> that's my situation
1: well i'll tell you what they aren't they are not actual shadows um sh- there have been accounts of these shadow entities interacting with objects and ghosts like have you ever heard of a shadow touching a person or a shadow moving an object no
0: because when i hear of things moving that is a poltergeist. And we we'll won't we'll, we'll deal with that.
1: Now, let me tell you two little tales. Okay. Um, so, on one account, an 11-year-old girl, she spots a... This is, this is at night. <clears throat> She's in bed. She spots a six-foot-tall outline of a person standing in her room, facing her TV away from her. So, just imagine, yeah.
0: That sounds exactly like Poltergeist, fam.
1: <laughs> so, <clears throat> and the TV turns on by itself
0: we well, don't like that but continue
1: um now after tv turned on the this outline of the person shadowy person uh it turns around to face her and after you know a few seconds of them just staring each other down it just disappears
0: mm, yeah i've I've heard lots of that they just kind of like
1: so fade yeah i'm just like so you're just gonna turn my tv on and then leave so rude like like my dad instincts just kicked in i'm like i had to like i had to like calm myself down I was like you're wasting my freaking electricity you know how high my <laughs> bill is gonna be this month now thanks a lot
0: you wasted our electricity ghosts <laughs> boo <laughs> um now
1: another account is when they were actually being touched by something um so a guy is sleeping on his side in his bed, you know, nighttime. Um, when suddenly he feels someone sit down right behind his back,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then he starts to feel someone poking him in his back. Um, he opens his eyes and he looks up and he sees three shadow people looking three. At, we don't like that. around his room.
0: That's too many.
1: Now he did not look around. He did not turn around to see. Um,
0: if anybody was behind them, too. Yeah.
1: So, he was too scared to move around. I feel you. So, either way, after he was done looking at them, they did disappear as well.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. So, now we can go into sleep paralysis. Um,
0: well, it's okay. We'll talk. We'll, we'll ask questions about when it what happens when it doesn't happen when you're asleep.
1: Okay. <laughs> I don't think I have the answer to that right now. Okay. <clears throat> now... There's a common theme with, um, well, I've seen, and, and this book, I actually, I uh, I forgot to mention my source. Uh, this book I bought, um, mm. it is called Darkness Walks. Okay. Um, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. There's, there's, a, there's a subtitle to it. Hold on. <laughs> it's called Darkness Walks. Uh, I think it's about, hold on. Now my candle's acting up. Okay, I get it. Anyway, I- I'll tell you. I- I'll after I'm done, I'll tell you That's the whole title. Um, but you know, with the with the with the accounts I've read in this book, um, sleep paralysis has been like the common denominator, most of them, oh, or okay. like them being like it happening at night, or them or this happening after a person wakes up, and not I don't know if you know, but like. With sleep paralysis, it's uh, you know um, traumatic
0: from my understanding,
1: yes, but it happens during REM sleep too,
0: right? What so, it is is that you are in a deep sleep and your brain's like, haha, I'm awake, yeah, yeah, yeah. And
1: during REM sleep, there's this chemical or these hormones that are released that uh, are supposed to stop you from thrashing around and actually acting out your dreams while you're asleep.
0: I wish they did. <laughs> i wake up all scratched up i didn't hurt myself
1: <laughs> maybe sometimes this happens and then the person wakes up during REM sleep and they can't move their body because right. they're still paralyzed but they're still they're brain's awake active but yeah but and they're dreaming
0: yeah and your body's fully conked out
1: yeah um so that's that's basically um what that is um so to those who are unaware of this phenomenon of sleep paralysis it's basically like what, what we just mentioned um you're asleep you wake up you're fully aware but you can't move your body you can't talk you can only move basically your eyes
0: and your brains like for a lot of people they see a lot of really disturbing visuals yes during that's this.
1: hallucinations are uh, very common Uh, with sleep paralysis yeah Um, they don't
0: know why do we know why the hallucinations are is it just your brain being really really active
1: yeah i think that's just like that and just still being in like that that dream state
0: Mm. maybe you're seeing your dream yeah in real life
1: yeah basically Mm -hmm. um and like, yeah, hallucinations just don't go from visible. Uh, visual, they can, you know, it's also like the pressure, the pressure that you feel, that's a hallucination too, because there's nothing like really pushing, pushing down on your chest when you're paralyzed, mm-hmm. but that's a hallucination as well. So, yeah. Um, In the book.
0: I've it, never it, had a sleep paralysis happen. No?
1: Mm-mm i don't think i have either but then i then when i'm thinking about that tell that that story i told you um i'm like maybe i was maybe that was that and i just i don't know i don't know my body just reacted to me throwing my cover over my head and then it then me just not being able to move or something because right after right after that happened i just went back to sleep so yeah i didn't talk to anybody about that (laughs)
0: Hmm. where was your brother Dead below you?
1: No. Uh, yeah. Um, so I had a bunk bed. I was on top. My brother's below me and my other brother was in the, uh, the other bed. Like, like a single? Yeah.
0: So where were they just sleep? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. It's terrible. I know. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> They're like uh, right there. I'm pretty sure the house was just haunted. But.
0: And, ooh. Stories. <laughs>
1: but um in this book there are different um religious takes of uh shadow people or shadow beings as well um now these these beings could very well be real or they could be your dreams or you know whatever okay um but all over the world different religions um for instance the jinn, um is an entity from the middle eastern folklore. Um, they're believed to be in, to be invisible creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, they with a, with a wide array of abilities. They can like shape shift. They can, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. But the gen like in um, I've Western always society, thought
0: of the gen being as a genie, but they're not as positive as like you know Prince Ali, um, <laughs> like. I mean, it's kind of a trickster situation. It's that whole idea of, like, you know, you make a wish, but, like, are you going to get what you want?
1: Exactly. Um, But jinn are not actually, um, what am I trying to say, uh, evil.
0: No, they're just, like, fairies. They're tricksters. Yeah.
1: um, Now, these are, well, the Jyn I'm talking about that are not evil are actually, like, uh, in the book it says they're Muslim- Jinn, jinn, jinn that are from Muslims. Okay, from is okay. Okay, so those are supposed to be the good Uh, jinn. Non-Muslim jinn are the ones that are the evil ones. The more. um, So
0: what do the good ones do? They do the same things as the other ones. Yeah, basically,
1: mess with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Wow, and apparently the good ones can actually pass as being human. Mm-hmm. and they can even marry and have kids that's right yeah so you can be living with a gin if
0: <laughs> i mean i'm not entirely upset with that concept
1: <laughs> a genie a genie husband
0: listen uh, this is a whole new that's I how the of genie that's hey. how the new oh my god
1: <laughs> that's how the new aladdin was at the end will smith is with that he hooks up with that oh
0: right he did like that lady
1: uh-huh. yeah Exactly. Now, the evil djinn, they're they're thought to be of evil warriors for the devil. Okay. Um, Now, these demonic djinn appear as dark figures and stalk mortal souls. Um, And apparently, a djinn is attached to everyone. Um, I don't like that. So, our own personal djinn, or demon djinn... Um, you know, for us non-Muslim, uh, non-muslims um I don't get a good one because no, I'm not Muslim yeah, basically sorry change your religion
0: um, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't like really any religion so
1: so this is a funny part for me it's it's like our own personal jinn. so when we die and if if you're buried mm-hmm. um your jinn will sit on your grave and curse you until the end of time
0: what i do to you
1: fam? <laughs> so <what> was...
0: <laughs> like but what i do sir
1: that's what i was i was so mad. i was like what did i do to you why are you so mad at me yeah like i could just imagine like my gin because i'm gonna be cremated so i'm just imagining my gin as i'm going into like the crematory It just shaking his fist in anger like it can't curse me
0: Nah, what happens is whatever mantle you get put on by uh, either Cassandra or or Jaden, uh-huh. they're going to be standing right next to the mantle like,
1: You're just shaking, <laughs> just uh, stink eye, stink eye my urn.
0: And the worst thing is one of like your kids further down the line will have like a baby mm. and the baby will toddle through and be like, look at that big weirdo in, like, room. <laughs> Yes. Because, you know, it's always the babies that yes. can see things.
1: Oh my God! Uh, another religion. Um, well, I don't want to say religion, but it's to people mm-hmm. um, know all too well of shadow beings. Um, uh, these apparently there there are two different kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some that are you know more aggressive to people. Uh, they're described as being larger than average, an average person, mm-hmm. and their appearance can be monstrous in nature. So maybe uh, whatever, whoever you who you were talking about earlier. Um, when it, when they were talking about shadow people, and they said that they looked like oh
0: yeah 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 um her name is Amy, um and she does a TV show where she's a medium and she talks about like the the ancient connection like ancient beings yeah um actually, there was a great there was a great episode where like these people were like yeah I keep seeing this creature outside of our house it's like two stories high and like uh, Amy was like leave. <laughs> This thing is older than this land and it's attached. Just move somewhere else. Oh my god. I love those ones when she says stuff like you that. I think it's great. Leave.
1: why are you still there? She's
0: like you need to move. Like you not well there's nobody who can make this thick creature leave because it is older than existence. Yeah. You your house is mm, it's not your house.
1: It's not your house. Sorry. For,
0: can you imagine? <laughs> you look out your window on the second floor and there's a gigantic
1: just face looking shadow in? thing no looking back at you bruh i'd go back to sleep new house <laughs> and um, go find a new house in the morning I'm like you're not waking and me people up people are like sorry. can
0: you help us and she's like no, no. I, I know i cannot I um nope. this is out of my depth
1: oh my god but yeah, uh,
0: or as that one guy from uh, TikTok said, it's above my it's above my pay grade.
1: It's beyond me. It's beyond me now. <laughs> yes, it, it's beyond me now, honey. Oh my god. But um, yeah. So, you know these these can be monstrous in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and these beings are actually products of uh, what was which described as, I guess, bad medicine. Okay. Um, Or bad magic. Uh, Say it.
0: Makes sense, actually.
1: So, yeah, medicine people who have perverted from, you know, what they're actually supposed to use their powers for, or they were originally using their powers for, Mm -hmm. like, using it for, like, helping people healing and stuff like that. And they turn it to using their powers to attack people instead. And, you know, they, they... These creatures or these beings uh start to appear. Um. Hmm. Yeah. So these beings they actually attack you physically and mentally. Um so not to be messed with. Yeah, definitely. Um on the other hand, they said uh shadow beings can be a good presence. Um and they're actually thought of as I guess like spirits, like ghostly That's spirits. what I think. Yeah. And be- I have
0: a I have a friend whose house I stay at sometimes. And that just be somebody like walking back and forth on the porch. Doesn't seem to be bothersome at all. It just seems to be restless. <laughs> I I think he, but I mean, I don't know. It just seems to be a shape that every once in a while you just see it moving around and you're like, All right, buddy, hope your afterlife is cool. Like, oh
1: my goodness. I I know. I wouldn't <laughs> they're not
0: bad though, like what's wrong with that?
1: I mean, I guess if you're not bothering me then okay, yeah, you're, like you're what's cool. the problem
0: if it doesn't hurt you or scare you?
1: That's true, there's no problem. My foot fell asleep, oh goodness, okay, anyway, and uh, these spirits you know these these shadow spirits are actually there to like uh guide people, or you know they might give you advice, you know unspeaking advice, but you know they're they guide you in the right direction mm-hmm. um uh the last. I'm going to finish this off with uh, one of the, I guess, most shared experiences of uh, shadow people. Okay. And that's the hat man. Have you heard of the hat man?
0: I think I've heard of people all seeing a spirit with a hat.
1: Okay. Well, this is, he's described as a tall, shadowy figure, um, He's male, stalking the corners of people's rooms or, you know, wherever. Um... Oh, well, wearing a hat. It could be like a wide brim, you know, hat, or I think I saw uh, her a fedora as well. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you call those people who just wear fedoras? What do you call...
0: I forget the term. It wasn't very positive, though. It's
1: not a positive one, so I'm not going to use it. So We
0: used to, it was a thing we made fun of people for a long time ago. Yeah.
1: Those, those fedora wearing uh, males who. Well, actually, every. Milady. The Milady. Well, the actually, miladies, m'lady, guys. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, these are the guys that are haunting you. <laughs> <laughs> they can't speak now, so you're okay. You walk um, into
0: your house, <laughs> chair pulls out. <laughs> okay.
1: Milady. Milady. Oh, why, thank you. <laughs> So, these these beings are actually, like, the closest we're going to get to, like, ghosts. Ghosts, like, me describing shadow people as ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they actually might be spirits of people who weren't so good in their lives and passed on uh, pretty horribly as well. So, maybe these miladies, they were just...
0: Well, I mean, there's a the belief that, like, most people who stay... Have a reason to fear the afterlife. Yeah. They're true. afraid of what comes after. Did I. Am I. Am I going to be okay?
1: No one knows. No one knows. Um, but they're. They're also a regular sighting. Uh, during sleep paralysis. So. They might be a ghost. They might just be your sleep paralysis demon. Coming to. Sit on your chest and. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, Some ufologists think that these...
0: Can you say that word again?
1: Ufologists? Oh,
0: we talking about aliens? (laughs) You're always perverting my my ghost stories with alien talk.
1: I can't help it. There's aliens in everything, okay?
0: I just want to enjoy ghosts.
1: (laughs) This is just a short little blurb. Some ufologists... Nice
0: and safe ghosts.
1: This, they might be an alien species. I don't like
0: this. See, now I see why people keep comparing us to (laughs) Shane and Ryan. Because I do not share your same feelings about
1: aliens. (laughs) Aliens are awesome, okay? I just don't
0: believe that they're like little green people. Okay, okay? no,
1: neither do I. I mean, they don't have to be. I mean, there might be some little green aliens, but you know they don't have to be, look like the big-headed ones that everybody thinks they look like. They're not going. We're not going to aliens right now. I'm just saying some ufologists think that this hat man might be an alien species, and he's here to observe and collect data from us. You never know. Just standing in your. It's like the Men in Black. Okay, it's just in your <laughs> <laughs> Brian! <laughs>
0: It's a ghost with a hat, standing in the corner, taking notes. Stop! (laughs) (laughs) These are moments where we should have video. We should have video because for like a good like 10 seconds, my reaction was silence. It was ridiculous silence.
1: (laughs) It was funny, the face that you made. (laughs) You never know. It could be that. It, 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 I'm pretty sure it's not that. You know, we well, want
0: That's the annoyance of the argument. You never know. We, it could we, be. We want to think
1: a lot of things are aliens, but we're really just ghosts. <laughs> um, I have a. I wanted to like read one of these accounts from the this book. Okay. This is a short one. This is a real short one, <clears throat> and uh, oh, the book is titled "Darkness Walks." the shadow people among us um i'll I'll give it all for later i'll probably i'll put in the show notes but that's the the title of the book so this is a tale and this is it's titled stalked by uh, shadows and it's like i said real short so although sarah kelly has never seen the hat man her mother and grandmother weren't so lucky and this is uh my mother my mom and my grandma have always told me about this spirit that was following them wherever they moved. She said, in the beginning, they would both hear heavy breathing beneath my mom's bed when she was little. Oh. Then one night, the monster came out from under the bed, a tall man in a long coat with no face and black holes for eyes, wearing some sort of hat. Luckily, I've never experienced that, but it still gives me chills. So, I I don't think I. Oh my god! Could you imagine? No, don't imagine. <laughs> Just I still up. have
0: like that minor experience where like you lay your feet off the edge of the bed and you're like, ah, better not.
1: <laughs> don't want nothing to touch my feet. Nope. I was like, you know what? I saw the meme where where someone was like, if you have your hands laying off the bed, the demon's gonna. Like, eat it, eat your hand, and then in the next panel, they have their butt hanging off the bed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say, if you have your hand hanging off the bed, demons gonna hold your hand.
1: That too, they please hold my hand, but they want want the demon to eat their butt. But yeah, um, that is what I, of course,
0: they do because that's the age we live in right (laughs) now. That
1: is millennials, please. oh my god but yeah that's what i got for shadow people today that's cool i wanted to do something a little i've been trying to like find more spooky things to cover because i've been doing because of cryptids like i wanted to i wanted to get back to the freaking black eyed children where people are listening and then they're just getting freaked out because of the little black eyed children coming to their doors oh but yeah
0: listen the black eyed children thing wouldn't work on me because i don't open the door for nobody (laughs)
1: Except if I know you're coming over.
0: That's right. Don't show up unannounced. Please don't. And people I won't who can show, uh, show up unannounced have keys. So they know they, they can get in because they have a key. Mm. But a stranger knocking on the door, like, listen, the other day a lady from Comcast stopped by and I like, I slid the, I had the, the door slide lock on and I was like, and I saw a black lady and I was like okay and I opened the door and she was just like hi and I was like she's like do you own your own like box and I was like I do Uh, and she's like oh okay because for people who don't own them I guess they're switching to these other ones and then people who move here in the future don't have to pay for like a box from uh, Comcast Comcast yeah Mm. but I was just like why are you here she was very nice though had very cute hair but I was just like I have, i'm not
1: expecting visitors no i have that no soliciting sign on my door really yes yeah because oh my I, look story time for another day but after uh, freaking um um um, um it's vacuum sellers or i forget oh
0: door-to-door vacuum people that look, used to be a thing when we were younger that's
1: still a thing and they don't leave when you say, no, thank you, I'm not interested. Well, let me show you this. They try to keep talking to And They want to, like,
0: make a mess on your carpet and then vacuum it up so that like, you can bruh, see how good it works.
1: Bruh. Yo. <laughs> we, it, he was, the dude was there for, like, I want to say, like, two hours trying to talk us into this stupid-ass vacuum. So.
0: See, that's just, like, when you go on a trip and they try and, like, they're like, we'll give you all share. these things if you come talk, listen to our timeshares. Yeah. You can't do that. That's not no. good. No.
1: So after that, I got the no soliciting sign that says no soliciting. Don't ring the doorbell. Don't make it weird. We're not opening the door for you. No, thank you. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that's what I got. I'm like, and it's funny because they came and they came to the door, and then they were like, "Oh, well, we're offering like a, he- a free house cleaning or something like that. We'll, we'll clean your wherever your most uh, um." walked about part of your houses and we're like oh awesome i don't have to clean the stairs today let's go so that's not how it turned out so anyway thank you guys for listening to this week
0: yeah we had a good time as usual as
1: usual you can
0: always find us on all our socials which are all linked on when killers get
1: yes check it out please
0: also, links to our Patreon and other ways to support us. And thank you so much for listening.
1: Yes. <laughs> Bye.
0: Bye.